Pastor Ed Taylor wonders what would happen if we would pray more often for the people we know. What would change if you started praying more for your boss? Some of you think your boss is a snake right now. You thought I was doing that for you. (laughs) But what would change if you prayed for your boss? If you prayed for your supervisor? If you prayed for police officers? If you prayed for doctors and those that are authority over your health and can take care of you, what would happen if you prayed for the leadership in your church, your pastors, your leaders? What would change? A lot would change. Your heart would change. Humility would reign. This is amazing grace. This is Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will continue his verse-by-verse look at the Gospel of John by taking us back to chapter 17. When you think of the great prayers in the Bible, perhaps Abraham's prayer in Genesis 18 comes to mind, or maybe Hannah's prayer, or even Moses' prayer in Exodus 32. But Jesus' prayer in John 17, you'd have to put near the top of the list. The Lord is praying as he prepares for the pain, humiliation, and eventual crucifixion. We're looking at the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Let's see what we can take away from it and apply to our own prayer lives. Chapter 17, we're studying through the Gospel of John together, walking alongside Jesus, and we're in a little sub-series entitled The King Prays as we're learning from the prayer of Jesus how to pray We're learning what is on his heart. We're learning more about his character, about his love, about what's important to him, his concern for the flock. It's like being on holy ground. As he does the opposite of what we we do when we pray, normally when we're praying, we fold our hands, we bow our heads, and we close our eyes. But we learn in the beginning, Jesus does just the opposite. He lifts his hands, looks upward with his eyes wide open, and he begins to pray to the Father out loud with the disciples and everyone listening. It's almost as if we're right next to him and he's praying out loud and we get to hear what this intimate moment is because that's what prayer is. It's, it's really an intimate conversation. That's why some of you are very uncomfortable praying out loud when there are people around because you know how your prayer life goes. As you're praying, you start to share more. You get caught up in your relationship with the Father and you get caught up in this time of dialogue. And as you're praying intimate things start coming out and personal things start coming out and and you're afraid of what people might think about you or somebody coming in you know because on Wednesday nights we've been praying together uh, as uh, in groups and we've been interceding for one another been praying for one another and and you don't have anything to worry about praying with fellow believers you Jesus prayed out loud and everybody was listening to his prayer and here we are now a couple thousand years later studying his prayer that it was prayed out loud and then written down by John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to pray, and it's a good thing to pray together. And so we're covering, we're overlapping our studies uh, so that we can catch, take, you know, take, start where we left off. So let's go to verse 6 in chapter 17. 
as Jesus is praying, he says, I've manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. That was an encouraging part of our Bible study last time, wasn't it? That God evidently sees things very differently than you and I see things. Because when he's praying for the disciples, what he prays to the Father is, they received my word and they kept it. But unfortunately, it's so easy for us not to see the things that we've kept, but to see the things that we haven't kept. We spent a lot of time last time uh, in our Bible study really emphasizing seeing things the way God sees things so that we'd be encouraged. Sure, there's so many things in our lives that we could look out that would discourage us. But when Jesus prays for his disciples, he prays for the things that they kept. And how encouraging that must have been to their hearts and their ears. Verse 7. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to, to them the words which you have given to me. And they have received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. This, we learn, is the definition of discipleship. That Jesus received the words from the Father. Then he gave them to the disciples. And they received them. And they too gave them away. And remember, to receive also includes to act upon. We're not just hearers only, but doers of God's word. And this is discipleship. Paul would pick up on this when he taught us on the topic of taking communion together. He would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11... For I received from the Lord that which I also declared to you. And then we went back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And Timothy is told by Paul, he says, Timothy, the things that you've learned and received from me, you commit them and teach them to faithful men that they might be able to teach others also. And that's a simple definition of what it means to be a disciple. We hear, we receive, then we act upon and we give. It's very simple. Now, if you like to write in your Bible, circle the word in verse 8, the word words. It's there, for I've given to them the words. The Greek word there is the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Now remember, you're reading an English translation of the Bible. The original language of the New Testament, it was written in what's known as Koine Greek or the simple Greek of the day. And the Greek word rhema, sometimes it's good to look at the original words because they have a much deeper meaning than our English words, like here. This literally refers to a spoken word, not a written word. Even though Jesus did use the written word, the Torah, he used the, the, the Old Testament, what we know is the Old Testament today, to teach. He also spoke to them. And this has an even deeper meaning than just the spoken word. It, it speaks of a word that comes at the right time. The idea is the right word at the right time. They received the words that I had for them. In the Proverbs, they put it this way in Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's a sweet thing. A word fitly spoken. So important to receive the words that are fitly spoken. And it reminds me of how appreciative I am of the work of the Holy Spirit in his church through the beautiful work of encouragement in people's lives. Don't you like a good encourager in your life? It's good to see you, brother. Haven't seen you in a long time. Welcome back. Anyway, sorry, sorry. It's just very encouraging. Don't you like to be encouraged? 
I like to be encouraged, especially with a word fitly spoken, where you know how it is. You come in here, you're beat up, and you're going through it, and as you're going through it, there's that sister. She sees you across the, ro- across the hall, and she just locks into you and says, oh, it's so good to see you, and she gives you a hug fitly given, and a word and say, I've been praying for you, or it's that gift of encouragement, or, or you receive that text out of the blue, and you go, where did this come from? Well, you, God put you on someone's heart, and they sent you a text, or they put a hand on you and started praying, and, and encouragement it's a word fitly spoken it's a rhema word listen it's very encur- it's very important for us to understand that we come from bible study we need to listen for the word of the lord we need to listen for that word fitly spoken. If indeed you're in a church that teaches the Bible regularly and you're opening it consistently and, and you know, you, you happen to be, if you're here at Calvary, you're a part of a church that so we're going to teach the Bible regularly all the time through the word, verse by verse, word by word, book by book. Well, that's what we use. That's the tool. The tool that we use uh, for Bible study is the Bible. That's what we use. But when you're in the Bible all the time, daily devotions, you're in Bible study, you're tuned into Christian radio, listening to Bible study, you may get into a pattern of simply listening for knowledge's sake. So, oh, that was a good nugget. That, that was a good insight. Instead of listening to Bible study or opening your devotionals and saying, what is your word for me? What's your word for my family? What's your word for my son, my daughter, my friend, my boss? What's the Rima word? And so the disciples here are being encouraged that they heard the the right word for them. They received what Jesus had to share with them, not just the didactic or the teaching part. They, They got the word for themselves. And how important it is for us to get the word for ourselves from the Lord. Now notice, let's pick up in verse 9. It says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I found this very interesting, and I want to pause here for a moment. I find it interesting that as Jesus is praying, he's saying, I'm praying for the disciples, I'm praying for the believers, but I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the believers, but I'm not praying for the world. I find that very interesting because... Because why isn't Jesus praying for the world? Well, I suggest to you, in this particular prayer, he's not praying for the world because he is just about to die for the world. He's going to give the greatest gift that, he, that could ever be given to the world by his death. And this particular prayer is a prayer for his disciples. He's praying for them. And toward the end, remember, he's going to pray for us, people that will believe later. But he's praying, he's praying for the disciples. Why? Because the disciples, like you and I, are the salt and the light of the earth. We are in the earth, we are in the world today to bring the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to those that are around us. And I don't want you to take this prayer, verse 9, and misunderstand that you and I have no obligation to pray for the world. We have a, a great and a grand obligation and a command to pray for this world, consistently and continually. Yes, we have been saved from this world. We've been taken out of this world, but we live in this world. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. And because of that, we have a great obligation to pray. 
Because I know how, I know how the, the world scene can really discourage us. It can be, you know, the world has, uh, we're in a time of great chaos and confusion and craziness. Uh, the world is, seems like it's, till, you know, you have to understand, even though that's happening in our life right now, it's happened in every generation. In every generation, a true believer would look at the world and just shake their head and go, what's going on? What's happening here? Why is this going on? And why is this happening? And, and in our own day and age, in our own day and age, there, there are things happening that haven't happened in any, genera- any other generation. And we're concerned. And maybe perhaps a few of us are worried. Many others are frustrated and upset. And, and the more frustrated and upset and worried you become, you may just like, you know what? Forget this world. Jesus, just come and deliver me. Take me home. Forget this world. But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is, well, he sent a Savior to die for this world. And, and the, Bible, the Bible teaches us on more than one occasion that we have a responsibility to this world as believers. And one of the responsibilities is to pray. If you're still yet unconvinced, let's turn over to 1 Timothy with me. And that's all the way to the right. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We get so distracted from the basic simplicity of what the, what the Lord wants to do through our lives in the world today. And one of the things that God wants to see from us is more prayer. And more prayer for a lost and hurting world. For a lost and dying world. But we get caught up in all sorts of things. And, and Lord, forgive us. Notice what he says. Paul writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. He tells young pastor how to oversee the church. And he says this. Therefore, this is 1 Timothy 2, chapter 1. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for, what does your Bible say? All men. Now, before we move on with the next verse, there are four types of prayer mentioned here. I don't want to develop it for you. We've done it before. But I'll give you the definition so you can understand the broad scope of prayer. First of all, he mentions supplications. Supplications uh, is another word for requests. When you pray, make requests for the all men. It's like Jesus saying, ask, seek, and knock. Start requesting things for other people, for the world. Secondly, he uses the word prayers. This is a generic word that covers all kinds of praying. Uh, the idea in later on in the Bible where it says, pray without ceasing. So just keep praying. You know, keep requesting, keep praying. Thirdly, the word intercession. The word intercession, this is literally standing in the gap for others. And it's very closely with supplication, where you're interceding for others, and you're interceding on behalf of others, and you're praying for others, and you're bringing them before the throne room of grace so that you can find help in time of need. And then the fifth one we're very familiar with, when we're praying, we're giving a thanks for all men. We're thanking God for all men. We're thanking God for the people that are in our lives. We're thanking God for the opportunity to bring the gospel to a lost and dying world. So then he says, make sure these things are made for all men. And then he says in verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good. What is good? Praying for all people. Praying for the leaders of our country and our world. This is good. And acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, again, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So let me ask you a question. What is the name of the last king you prayed for? (laughs) 
I, I asked that last night as I was teaching. It just came to mind. I'm like, man, I don't think I've... Yeah, you know what? I did. I prayed for the king of Jordan lately. I've prayed for the king of Jordan. You know, there are... A lot of times in Bible study, we'll just pass over this and go, well, you know, kings mean people and lead. No, the Bible says, literally, pray for kings. And we can easily dismiss that in the culture that we live in, in the kind of democracy government, the republic system of government that we have, that we, well, there aren't any kings. There are many kings on the earth today. They primarily oversee Muslim countries in the Middle East. And I began to think myself, I was just convicted as I was teaching last night. This all came to me as I was teaching through this. I was convicted that that's the only king's name that I know. And I haven't been praying for the king of Saudi Arabia. And I haven't been paying for all these kingdoms that are going on in the Middle East. And, and, and the Lord says to pray for them. And I wonder what kind of work God would do if his people would get on their knees and pray for kings. And all that are in authority. Yeah, all that. Now that comes to our system of government. You know, praying, praying for those that are in authority over us. The mayor of our city. The governor of our state. The current president of our United States to pray for them, to lift them before the Lord, God's ordained leader of our country. Yeah, should we pray for the Republicans? Yes. Should we be praying for the Democrats? Yes. The independents? Yes. The ones that unplug from the political system? Yes. We should be praying for all men. But what happens? We get caught up in the politics of things. We get caught up in the opinions of things. And instead of praying for people, we're upset with people, we're tearing them down, we're building ourselves up, and we're disobeying the Lord and losing the saltiness and the light that God has put on the earth through the church. So we're to pray for the world. We're to pray for one another, but we're also to pray for the world. Paul tells Timothy, don't you be known, don't let your church be known by your building don't let your church be known by your name. Don't let your church be known by, your, by you, Timothy, or by your outreach, or how big you are, how, how many people come, or what social concerns. You be known for your prayer. Be known that you're a praying people. Be known that you receive my rhema word. Be known as a congregation that is, serves your community, brings the love of Jesus into your community. In other words, first and foremost, you're to be a people who pray without ceasing, who continually pray, taking people to the throne room of God. Consider when he says to pray for kings, do you know who was in charge at the time? You know who Paul is referring to here? He's referring to a church to pray for a man by the name of Nero, who has gone down in history as one of the top five people, if you're making a list, I'm sure he would make the top five of Christian-hating, destroying people in charge of a government of all history. A church praying for those that are in authority because those that are in authority are only there by the predetermined counsel of God. What would change if you started praying more for your boss? Some of you think your boss is a snake right now. You thought I was doing that for you. <laughs> but what would change if you prayed for your boss? If you prayed for your supervisor? If you prayed for police officers? 
if you prayed for doctors and those that are authority over your health and can take care of you, what would happen if you prayed for the leadership in your church, your pastors, your leaders? What would change? A lot would change. Your heart would change. Humility would reign. Your eyes would be open, not through the lens of politics and not through the lens of selfishness and not through the lens. You know, when, when I take my glasses off, I can't see. I look around and it's one big blur. And if I do this too often, I'll get a little dizzy. But when I put my glasses on, whoa, I see everything through these lenses. And the lenses, I just went to the eye doctor recently on Monday and they fixing all that machine to get the next lenses I have to get just at the right prescription because everything I see will be through these lenses. And if the doctor does his job right, and he does, and the person that's going to grind the glasses and fix them do their job right, and he will, I'll get another pair of glasses that will make everything I see a little bit more clearer. But what happens is we put on glasses that we see the world through that don't belong. We see, the, we see people through our own preconceived ideas or our own preconceptions or our own selfishness or our own hurt and our own pain when we need to be putting on the glasses and see everything through the lens of the finished work of Jesus Christ. His birth, his death, and his resurrection changes everything. And it gives us a heart for people so, so that we are constantly praying. We are constantly telling God about men. That's what prayer is. We're telling God about men, supplicating, interceding, thanking, and praying. But, but we, don't, we, we can't just be a church. We can't just be a church that tells God about men. We also have to be a fellowship family, a church that tells men about God. That's why we're on the earth. That, that we're not just praying to God about people, but we're telling people about the God that we pray to. That's why God has you where he has you. Preordained purposeful. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you answer common questions about Christianity and the Bible. It's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today, 360 quick answers to key questions. Now, this will serve to help you answer questions about evolution and creation, alleged contradictions, and general accusations concerning the Bible. Learn how to answer the claims of cults and ethical issues like abortion or divorce. Again, that's 5-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio and the Internet. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. 
Well, Pastor Ed, here we are on Veterans Day, and since the topic of the day has been praying for others, I think this would be a great time to pray for those that have served or are serving in the military. Yeah, Larry, you know, Veterans Day is such a special day dedicated to all the American veterans of every war. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And Father, I do publicly, having never served in the military myself, but having enjoyed the benefits of those that have, I want to thank you. Even here in our own backyard with Buckley Air Force Base or Space Force Base with all of the disciplines there, thank you. Thank you for the faithful commitment of our veterans that would put their lives on the line for the sake of peace, safety, and freedom. Bless them, bless their families, and may you be glorified through our dedicated lives to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And allow me to add my words of appreciation to those of you who have served or are serving this great nation of ours. Thank you very much. Celebrating God's faithfulness and goodness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of John. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.